Don't Miss a Beat is a podcast series brought to you by the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein & Lear that covers views from diverse constituencies within the food, beverage, and agribusiness, also known as FBA, sector. Hosted by Jonathan Havens and Kermit Nash, co-chairs of the firm's FBA group, episode guests offer various perspectives on a variety of legal, policy, and industry developments, day-to-day FBA issues, best practices, and the road ahead. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another installment of our food, beverage, and agribusiness industry podcast, Don't Miss a Beat. This is Jonathan Havens. I am co-chair of the food, beverage, and agribusiness practice here at Saul Ewing, Arnstein, and Lear. I am thrilled today to be joined by Carrie Leishman, who is the president and CEO of the Delaware Restaurant Association, and also to be joined by my partner, Dina Kahlo, Dina will talk to you about her relationship with the RA and her relationship with Carrie. But without further ado, Dina, I want to turn it over to you. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Um, it's great to be here this morning. Carrie and I have known each other since I joined the firm back in 2014, and it's really been my privilege and honor to work with the Delaware Restaurant Association and all the things that they do for their members. But Carrie, you know, let, as we get started, I just want you to give a little intro about how you got started with the Delaware Restaurant Association and uh, got into the position that you're in. Well, I'm I'm happy to be here, and I'm 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 loving seeing you on this podcast, Dina. Which is not always how podcasts go. So thank you all for having me. And like Dina said, we've known each other since 2014. The firm, and especially Dina, have been really instrumental at helping the restaurant industry in Delaware because. We always want to raise the culture of professionalism in our industry. And with the help of Dina and Saul Ewing, especially on the human resources front, she's added so much value to the education and knowledge of restaurants. And I know you asked how I started. It's, um, wow, what a year to be in my 20th anniversary of the Delaware Restaurant Association. And I thought it was going to be with champagne and a big party, but uh, we can't do that these days. So it's really a crazy time to be celebrating uh, because we've done nothing in the last six months, but really work our tails off to, to help this industry that's struggling. But I've been, I've been, like I said, here at the Delaware Restaurant Association 20 years as my role uh, leading this tiny but mighty organization in the state of Delaware. Before that, I was with the Restaurant Association of Maryland for 10 years in a senior leadership role, but came to it really out of my love for the industry, for food and drink. I was a, I was a journalism professional and major uh, uh, at Syracuse University, and then my first job was at a city magazine, but really loved the story and the grit and the entrepreneurial fearlessness of restaurants. And I love sitting on the side of advocacy and education and the betterment of the industry by running the Delaware Restaurant Association. So I think I'm, uh, I tell the board, don't fire me. I have no other job skills, but running an industry that I love so much. And, and you all know, right, there's an association for everything. But I tell people, listen, I am so blessed that I get to work with restaurateurs every day and not the widget manufacturers association. So it's awesome. I, I, I literally come to it every day with such a great passion 20 years in. And, and Carrie, that passion that you have really has taken this small, you know, Delaware small association for restaurants and really put it on the national stage. 
and I know your members so appreciate you. And, you know, let's shift that a little bit to COVID. And, you know, the restaurant industry has been hit so hard by COVID, and, and we all do know that. But I want to talk a little bit about what you and, and your association did um, when COVID first hit and kind of the steps you took with the governor's office and the advocacy role that you took to really ensure that your members had the best footing possible. And we know that was difficult to try to get reopen and, and, and all of the steps that you took in that regard. Yeah, it's been really tough. You know, I, 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 I spent the beginning of the year really planning our advocacy, planning our events, as you know, and we've always worked with the governor. We've worked with our cabinet secretaries and legislators and officials, and we knew it was coming, right? We saw what was coming from Europe. We knew that COVID was affecting our business and our industry on the West Coast, and it's really, it's really funny. I mean, I'll share a personal story. I was actually out in our beach town of Dewey Beach the, the weekend before restaurants and, and bars were shut down and people were still out and it was right before St. Patrick's Day weekend. And I was actually in one of my board members' uh, busy restaurant bars when the governor called and said, I really think you should shut down in advance of St. Patrick's Day weekend. I, I couldn't even believe it was happening. I mean, now it's it, it seems like a blur six months later, six and a half months later, but we limited the scope of service that weekend, but we were out, people were out, they, nobody took it serious. And then three days later, I can remember working through the weekend with the governor's office and not to not shut down restaurants. I mean, I couldn't even believe that this was a possibility. And the problem in Delaware and our state, and it happened so quickly amongst all the states is with about two hours notice that Monday, the governor decided to shut restaurants down. And you could imagine the shock that we all had where restaurants, they had their food already ordered. They were preparing for dinner service in two hours. They had to literally get rid of everything, throw out their food, throw out everything, send people home and shut their businesses down. And I think for about... 24 hours, I was could have been in a straitjacket, I'm sure. Um, I'd never been so devastated for an industry. I take it so personally. So we spent about 24 hours really in shock. And then I realized, and our team at the Delaware uh, realized that we have to go to battle for our industry. That was that was going to have to happen. And that we were gonna do, going to do everything we could to get them open and get them support. And it's fast forward into the 90 days after 30, 60, 90, and, and 120 days after shutdown. You're right, Dina, we've done nothing, I think, uh, because of our reputation, uh, having weekly calls with the governor, weekly calls with multiple members of his cabinet, weekly calls with the legislators in our state who really were kind of, um, their hands were tied. All the decisions in all of our states were really being held and being made by just a few people. So I do think that if it wasn't for the Delaware Restaurant Association and for your listeners that are that are in other states, for the other state restaurant associations, our industry would not be represented and they wouldn't have maybe had the gains that other industries didn't have. We were the first to shut down and we certainly have been the most negatively effective out of, out of all the business sectors. And 
you know, I can talk a little bit about that too, because it's dramatic. Right now uh, in Delaware, we've seen about a loss of $760 million in annual sales since January. And that's coming from an industry that's sees 2.2 billion in sales. So that's huge right there. Uh, Delaware lost two out of three of its workers during the shutdown. And we were the third highest state to lose restaurant employees through COVID. It's dramatic what we've lost. And our industry lost almost 100% of the industry, 96% to be exact, is down in their sales for the year. And 81% of the industry says that it looks like they will still be operating at a loss for the next six months. So there's so much that we've done in, in, in between to lobby or advocate for the industry and its reopening and what it looks like. It's been crazy because it's amazing how we're fighting for literally inches you know, distancing and, and sanitation standards and restaurants and guidelines. It's all really been put together with our advocacy, with our public health, with our governor's office. So on that, that side is one thing. And then the other part of the work we've been doing is really advocating for financial relief from the industry, because without financial re- relief, we estimate in Delaware and across the country, we're going to lose 30% of our businesses. Yeah. So, you know, as, and it is, it's a devastating view of the industry and, you know, everybody is wrapping their head around it and trying to move forward. You know, as we look toward the future, do we have a bright spot? Are you looking at it and saying to yourself, okay, you know, do we have a view of the future that we can see a light at the end of this tunnel? Well, Listen, what I was struck with the most when the pandemic hit was the incredible humanity of the restaurant industry. I mean, we are the cornerstone of every community. I don't don't know of an industry that gives back more to their community than restaurants. And what struck me with their humanity was their care for their people, right? So when they were shut down, it was... Carrie, what can we do for our people? What services are available for our people? What can we do first? The Delaware Restaurant Association really was one of the first states in the country with the help of the industry to form a relief fund for restaurant workers. And we were really aggressive or we sent out, even before unemployment insurance hit, we sent out $500 stipends to displaced restaurant workers. And our industry was feeding the people that they let go. I have a, I had a restaurateur in Delaware who had some dreamers that were in his kitchen and he started a power washing company just to keep them in a paycheck. So we do so much for our workers and for our community and feeding the front lines. We were, I mean, multiple restaurants. I mean, countless restaurants were feeding our doctors and our nurses and our, and our frontline workers, our police. They do it all the time. So that's natural for them. So I think that is why it's so important for us to advocate relief for the business moving forward. It's really interesting that in January also, I was preparing to really educate consumers, the media, our elected officials on a report that the National Restaurant Association came out with called Restaurants 2030. And it was a real glimpse and a look at what restaurants are going to look like in the next decade. It is amazing to me how nimble restaurants were forced to be in just the last four or five months. We've had to become 2030 
in a short amount of time. And that's by adopting technology and meals to go and um, delivery more than they've ever had to before. I mean, it's amazing to me seeing fine dining restaurants doing family meals for their customer base and consumers. So the fact that restaurants are nimble and they've had to adjust so quickly is something that is a bright spot and I know will survive. Restaurants will survive, but it'll look much different. Another bright spot is I think you're going to see changes, like I said, for the consumer. We're seeing people coming back to restaurants. We're adopting outdoor dining, as you see, where I think that all the consumers love alcohol to go uh, in most states. So you're going to see, I do anyway, um, and you're going to see a lot of that continue as the, as the months and the years progress. They've had to learn really quick. So I think that's a bright spot. I think that you're seeing restaurateurs really meet the demands and the needs of the consumer where they want it, whether it's to go, whether it's outdoor dining, and now back inside. So I think you're, you're seeing a lot of that now, and you're going to see that continue into the future. Carrie, I know that over the last few years, there's been a wonderful partnership between the Delaware Restaurant Association and the Delaware Department of Labor. And this year, that has really come to a great fruition with a grant that you received, um, which will also bring some great training and skill sets um, to the employees. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we were blown away. We're, we were really excited. And certainly training and education is part of the platform of the Delaware Restaurant Association and our nonprofit philanthropic arm, our educational foundation. But through CARES Act funding that went to the Department of Labor, we were just granted a, a really nice size grant, $860,000 actually, to do what's called rapid workforce training. And we know with COVID, there's a lot still of displaced workers. Uh, you know, as of August, 35% uh, unemployment rate for restaurant workers in the state of Delaware. So we know to give people the best chance for reemployment and upskilling in our industry and more money, we need to do some rapid workforce training. So that money, that grant will be used to certify entry-level workers so that they can enhance themselves in their current role or get better jobs. It will also be used to develop further our, the next wave of education across the country in multiple industries, but for sure in restaurants, and that's apprenticeship. So we'll be using a lot of that money to offer pre-apprentice to those who might need second chances and an opportunity who don't get it in other industries, as well as pulling people from all melting pots and all walks of life to enter into paid apprenticeship within the restaurant and hospitality industry. So that money, it's interesting. We're, it's now, uh, when you're airing the, when you're taping the podcast, uh, it's uh, the 1st of October, we have to deliver those. Uh, trainings before March. So we have a lot of work ahead of us to do this. That's why it's called rapid workforce training. But we're really excited for the challenge to help upskill the industry. That's wonderful. And, you know, we've worked together in the past to develop various trainings on, you know, drug abuse and misuse and anti-harassment and things of that nature. So I know this grant is in good hands and you will it'll be all that'll be all in there too dina it'll be all in there i'm sure it will you know the other thing as we all know that's happened this year is a real focus on diversity and inclusion um you have also been really a front runner in highlighting women in the industry 
can you tell us a little bit about the, the women's initiatives that the DRA has focused on the last few years and then how that's shifted this year? Because obviously we haven't been as much in person, although I know you recently had an in-person women's event, but can you tell us a little bit about the DRA's focus on women in the industry? Yeah, listen, I've been in this industry such a long time and there are so many women that work in restaurants. I think the number today is 52% of workers in the restaurant industry are women, but the restaurant industry hasn't always been kind to families and to women and to the upward mobility of management in restaurants. We thought it was also important to allow women in our industry an opportunity to network, to sponsor and mentor one another and to celebrate one another. I'm really proud of being a woman myself in hospitality. And wow, has, has COVID really affected women and the future? In fact, McKinsey just put out a study that really talks about the possibility of women being displaced more in all business sectors because of COVID. Right now, women make up 47% of the workforce, but that we're seeing 54% of the job losses because of COVID. And it saddens me when I hear that women may have to drop out of the workplace altogether, maybe even if it's just temporarily, because they may have to be the main caregiver of their families and their, and their educate their children. And homeschooling and things and like homeschooling that. Homeschooling right? and, and what have you. So, but you're right. Um, we were one of the first states, that, well, we were the first state in the country to really put together a robust women of hospitality arm of our organization. And and, and last year, I know that you were there, Dina, we celebrated with this really kick-ass conference where we brought together women leaders in our industry. So we are celebrating women. And it's funny, we've had uh, a virtual event since, since COVID and our first in-person sort of networking event. And these women didn't want to leave. They, they really needed to set pause to get away from work and to get you know away from families to celebrate and sort of network with each other. We are planning a virtual Women of Hospitality Conference in November, and I'm super excited because women are need to come back to sort of reset and reinvent themselves. And, and we're going to be doing a lot of education on how, to, how do we get back on that ladder of mobility in COVID and virtually, and, and how do we do it? And uh, we have some great speakers, especially financial planners. So it's not just for, it's we need to support all aspects of our professional lives. And that's what this conference in November uh, will give to these women. So I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. And virtually, I think we can expand our audience, not just in Delaware, but in the region as well. So yeah, it's a huge priority of ours to develop leaders and to affect policy that will help develop leaders in our industry that are women. Carrie, I just wanted to jump in. This is Jonathan. You know, I'm struck by a couple of the things that you said but you know, kind of the net impression of the challenges that you've addressed that, that the industry is facing, to me, are people-related challenges, right? It's how do you keep your customers safe, but also how do you keep your employees safe? And you know, I know that the work that you and Dina have done together over the past several years has been very labor and employment focused because people, I mean, I'll say this, I don't know if you agree with me, people are the most important asset that the industry has, particularly the, you know, the, the folks that are um, you know, busing tables and serving and bartenders and management and, you know, whoever. And it's really a challenge to me to, 
to protect to protect customers and, and and workers, make sure it's safe for for your employees to come every day. But I'm kind of wondering. You and I have talked about this before. Almost since my very first day at at Saul Ewing, I heard about this great relationship between DRA and Saul Ewing and the work that you and Dina have done together, particularly for other restaurant associations that might be tuning in. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do with Saul Ewing, with law firms to educate your members, to train members, the day-to-day challenges that people are dealing with? I would say a lot of them are in the labor and employment space, but not exclusive to that. But just wondering if you can talk about that at all. Well, oh my God, Jonathan, you're so right. I mean, the calls, well, before COVID, the single most talked about topic with this industry is people, right? It's people are what keep our restaurant operators up at night, not food and, and anything else in the business. It's always about the people. And even for people that aren't in restaurants that are listening on to the podcast, you have to understand that restaurants don't have HR directors at the small independent restaurant level for the most part, right? In restaurants, how someone becomes a manager is they start out maybe as a server and then they become, and they're, they're great at it and they love the industry. And then they become the assistant manager. And all of a sudden the owner says, voila, Mary, you are now the HR director in charge of all decisions, right? So we get so many calls when it re- as it relates to human resources and challenges and, and labor issues. And so the Delaware Restaurant Association for the past, I don't know, Dina, how many years it's been, 10 years or so that we've done the fast forward. I do an, uh, I do an event every year, an educational event for our members that addresses mostly HR related topics. And Dina has been a presenter and she's so amazing uh, when she speaks to our members and she gives them just great, very direct, because that's our industry, right? We're direct, just tell it like it is, advice and on cutting edge topics. So Dina has presented to our members numerous times at conferences like our Fast Forward, but also the work we've done together that's been exciting, that has been leading the country actually, and with Dina and Saul Ewing's help, is we addressed a topic a few years ago on opioids and drugs in the workplace. And at the time, I think, Dina, it was about three years ago. was, I think. We started getting a lot of calls from our members where they didn't know what to do. Maybe they had a bartender that they loved, but was going down the path to maybe alcohol addiction or a chef that came in seemingly maybe that was, that was on drugs and they didn't know how to address it. And so we thought it was important at the time to help our industry address that very important topic from a human resource and people perspective. Because you're right, Jonathan, it's about people. And we don't have a second string like a football team, right? If we lose an employee to a bad decision, HR decision or drugs or something, it's, it's very hard to fill those roles right now because it's, we're at a shortfall for workers in the industry. So Dina's work and the work we've done together on that, we've gone nationwide with it. Uh, we've actually presented nationwide on that topic. And those are the topics that I look to Saul Ewing and to Dina for, for their expertise. Because again, like I said in the beginning, raising the culture of professionalism in our industry is one of my number one goals. And 
the work that we do on our foundation, I didn't mention this, is we're also in the schools. I currently have 3,000 high school students learning about culinary and hospitality management. And if I want those kids to go into our industry, then through the work of the Restaurant Association and with Dina's cons uh, consultative training, we are uh, allowing these students to come into a professional industry. And that's what's important to me. Well, it's hard to believe, but I told you that the 20 minutes would go by very quickly. And, and I could we're talk for days. This is this has been great. I mean, it's no no secret to our audience members why we were so eager to have you come on. You're a fantastic representative of the industry. DRA is 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 in excellent hands, as we can all see. And uh, you know, we really thank you for not only coming on, but for the strong relationship that that we've enjoyed with with DRA and with your members. So, unless anybody else has any closing words, I think we can. Uh, we can sign off on yet another episode. We hope you can join us on a future episode. And as, I'll, as we always say at the end of this, we are here for you. If, you. if there's a topic you wanna hear about, if there's something you heard today that you'd like to know more about, please drop us a comment, send one of us an email. But, uh, again, Carrie, thank you so much. Have a fantastic weekend and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everybody. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Miss a Beat, brought to you by the law firm of Saul Ewing, Arnstein & Lear. Please be sure to subscribe to hear more podcast episodes related to developments in the food, beverage, and agriculture industry.